0: Doesn't do much good now, but you know, we do have a gluten free communion, right? Just happened. So, uh, <laughs> for the future, if you ever want to take that gluten free communion, you can raise your hand. Dave Gerlach does an excellent job every Sunday reminding me to say that beforehand, uh, and I do a great job forgetting beforehand. So, um, there's that. And then, um, also at the very end of the service, there'll be a second offering because we didn't get enough on the first one. Um uh, the second one is a benevolence offering. Uh, that, that offering only goes for needs of people in this church and community. It's just for those felt needs so we can help people. That's the benevolence offering. Um, so it, as, as you're leaving, if you wish to give to that, there will be ushers holding plates at the back door. Uh, if you feel led to do that, please do that. It helps needs. So, um. All right. I was, at, uh, I was at Willow Creek this week in Chicago, Illinois, or Barrington to be more exact. And I walked into this conference. Now, Willow Creek's a huge church. And and the first thing I saw when I walked in the doors on Thursday morning, besides 8,000 people, was I saw these little, little, uh, boxes here, okay? And, uh, you saw the Gustafson's were with me, you saw them, right? But you weren't as crazy as I was, because I saw these, and, and one side said, hello on it. So, so hello little box of liquid, you know, that morning. And then the other side says, boxed water is better. Have you ever seen, have any of you seen these before? Size the <laughs> Some of you have seen it. Okay. So I see this, and it says boxed water is better. And I know it's early in the morning, okay? But, but my first thought in my head was, oh, look, they have little boxes of milk, and the milk says to drink water. That's, that's literally what I thought. I thought it's a, bo- it's, it's a carton of milk, and the milk says, and, and so, like, this company must make milk and water, and they're saying their boxed water is even better than this. That's what I thought, Okay? I mean, you might have thought that too, right? So I, I just I saw the boxes of water on this table, the boxes of milk, excuse me, and I just passed them by because I'm like, I don't feel like milk this morning. And I kind of, I thought, well, if I went over there, they're, they're not even in coolers. They're probably warm, you know? I mean, like, I, I don't want to drink that. So I, I went in and I, I, uh, I bought a muffin and some juice to, to eat that morning and drink. And, and then I went and sat in my seat. And somewhere in the first session, it just hit me, you know, like one of those, oh, you're so stupid. It just hit me, that's water, you know, it's water. And and I thought, of course it's water. So I went out there and I picked one up and I'm like, we'll see, you know, right? We'll take this off and, you know. It's water, you know. Somebody said milk, yeah. That would have been great, wouldn't it, if it was really milk? <laughs> um it's really water. And it says box water is better because it's good for the environment. It's not using plastic and all that. So um, that's great. Now, here's the problem that I had that morning. Besides being tired, okay? And my face is red, isn't it? I'm so ashamed of what I did, right? <laughs> um, okay. Um, my problem is, for 34 years, if I'm opening one of these, I'm drinking milk, right? I grew up at school drinking milk. I mean, sure, they were a little bit smaller, but they looked like this. And... And even even recently, if we go on a trip somewhere and, and you know we're on the road and we need like a, a quick breakfast, we run to the gas station, I might buy a little carton of milk because it's cheap and it's a good little thing to drink. Um, I've drank cartons of milk for 34 years. And now all of the sudden, I've got this thing and it's water. And it reminded me that sometimes we get so used to thinking about things a certain way and doing things a certain way that even when something new is, is right there in front of us and it makes perfect sense, we just don't get it. We just don't get it. So, a few weeks ago, I was, I was preaching on... Uh, I one did one sermon on the presence of God, getting, getting, receiving the presence of God in your life. I did a sermon on the power of God when the walls of Jericho fell and God's power did that. And I talked about how when, when we as Christians live our life, we, we don't, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. You know, the victory's been accomplished. Jesus died, and, and the powers of Satan are done. Even though they're still doing things in the world, Satan still has a degree of power, it's true. But, but as far as God's concerned, he's finished. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. And so, talking about power and seeing power in our life, and, and then I had a couple conversations with a few people from church that morning, and, um, and the conversations kind of went like this. So you talked about power, and you talked about being in a good position to receive God's power, and you even said something kind of interesting about how obedience brings power. But what if your problem is you're disobedient? You're disobedient, and you don't see God's power, and you know you're doing wrong, and, and, and you just need the power to do what's right. Right? How does that work? I had a couple conversations like that. And one of them, which was a little bit of a longer conversation, uh, I said a few things. I said, well, you know, I think some of the answer lies in um, you got to have a plan. There's things you got to do. you got to, see, see, when you think about it, you got to, maybe, maybe you start fasting. Maybe you pray. Maybe you make sure you're reading more of, of the Bible to... And, and, and through these things, you're going to get God's power, and, and everything's going to be good, and you're going to be able to resist that temptation, whatever that is. And I've reflected on that answer for a while, uh, for a few weeks, since I haven't preached on Joshua for two or three weeks now. And I'm not happy with it. I'm not happy with myself. Um, that That's maybe a partial answer, but it's not good. It's just not good. It's not the right, real answer. And I think the problem is, my paradigm, my way of thinking about resisting sin and overcoming things and living for Christ is very much, in some ways, if you have a big problem, you just try to do more and strive, try harder. And that's not helpful when you don't really want to try harder and it's just not working. Um, if I do two hours of devotions, will I be able to resist that addictive habit that I have? If if, if I pray for an hour in the morning, will I automatically be able to live and part of the answer there is yes that 's not all of it, and even saying it that way is not saying it the right way i want to I want to put water in different cartons this morning and and try something out and maybe for a lot of you, this is like i 've thought that way forever pastor i 'm glad you're just catching up to me but um for me i 've been preaching for a long time and thinking about sin for a long time and uh and how to overcome it, and people that come to me and say, "I have a terrible time with this sin or that sin." And, and how do I get through that? Um, maybe part of it is I've heard famous preachers. I've heard preachers that I admire, and I'm not going to use their names because I still admire them. I don't want to trash them at all. Um, but I've heard preachers that I know and love, and I've heard them preach sermons on, like, how do you, how do you break jealousy in your life, or, or how do you deal with greed? And the answer that they give is action. If you want to stop being greedy, you give money to people that are in need. If you want to break jealousy, you give compliments to the people that you're jealous of. And I think that's excellent advice. But that's not the final answer. That's not the ultimate answer. That's not the most basic answer. Because I could still give money and still be terribly greedy. And I could still give a compliment out and still be incredibly jealous. It's not a magic bullet to deal with all my problems. So what is it? And so I'm looking at the Scripture going, what's the answer? And is the answer really in Joshua 8? Because that's what I'm preaching this week. <laughs> okay? Go to Joshua 8, okay? Go to Joshua 8. So the last time we looked at Joshua, we were looking at Achan. Achan took some things from Jericho when the walls fell. God said, don't take anything for yourself. And Joshua... Or, Achan did and so as you know um, the Israelites killed him and his family stoned them destroyed all their stuff and uh, they they dealt pretty severely with that and God was angry with the whole nation for the actions of one person and I, I know we don't I didn't say this a lot last time when I preached on that but part of that is so shocking to us as Americans because we would never think of of this communal sense of sin you know like when we think of sin in the communal sense, I think as a church, we think of sin like the sin of America, right? We think of American sins. And when we think of American sins, we don't usually think of American church sins. We think of American unchurched sins, don't we? You know? Like I've, I've been to the day of prayer a number of times, not not the one here in this area, but other ones, and, and I hear people praying for our country and, and repenting of sin. And it's always... American unsaved people's sin. Those people. People that need love and acceptance and we're, we're praying against their sin. And I know God's mad at their sin too, don't get me wrong. I bet he's kind of mad about the church's sin too, though. You know, I bet he's kind of mad about the things that we do as a church. How sometimes we neglect the poor. Sometimes we keep what we have for ourselves. Our greed. Our, our arrogance, our pride, thinking we're better than other people because we have more. I'm sure there's American sins that God's not happy with. That's a corporate sense of sin. And uh, Paul says the church ought to judge itself. I, I can't find the verse where it says that we're supposed to judge the world, but I can find the verses in 1 Corinthians where Paul says you're supposed to judge yourself. Yikes, as a church. Um, so uh, all that to say Achan sinned and God held it against the entire nation. And and so they got rid of Achan and uh now they they went to fight Ai the second time and they and they beat the city this time because they dealt with the sin. And then Joshua does something very important. Uh he wants the nation to recover from this failure. Okay? And it makes me think how do we recover from our spiritual failures? What, what How do we respond when we know we messed up again or we messed up for the first time and we're just, it just hits us so hard. For some of us, it is that cycle of I keep messing up and I keep messing up. What do I do? What do I do? I know what I'm supposed to do, but I keep doing this. How does Joshua 8 help? Well, let's check out Joshua chapter 8. Let's look at verse 30. Um, skipping over the battle of Ai, I'm telling you right now, they win. Uh, God was with them. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> they win. right? We looked at a battle last time and, and some other things. So, uh, It says, "...that Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to Yahweh, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses." an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to Yahweh burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites with their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the ark of the covenant of Yahweh facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of Yahweh, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and all the foreigners who lived among them. There you are. There's the answer. So I'm going to go back to um, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'm going to read the law this morning, right? And you're not leaving until we get through. It may take a couple hours, but we're going to get there, all right? Um, what, at least five things that Joshua does. And here, here's kind of the scenario. Um, the next city on Israel's list to overtake is not on the way to Mount Ebal, okay? It's just not on the way. But, but they kind of say, time out, let's take this journey this, let's take this journey between these two mountains. And we're going to have the priests in the middle, and we're going to have we're going to split the nation up, and one's by this mountain, one's by this mountain, and the priests are going to we're going to read the law. Jeff's going to read the law, and when we come to the blessings and the curses, we're going to have one side say Amen to the blessings, and the one side say Amen to the curses. That's the Ebal side, because Ebal means uh I think Mount of Cursing. And so they're going to say, Amen. Basically what they're saying is, if we don't do what God has required of us, we'll be cursed. And if we do what God has required of us, we'll be blessed. And then they offer these sacrifices and fellowship offerings. Now, um, I've given you in your notes the five things that Joshua does. You can see them all right there. Um, If you have this in your your bulletin, you can pull that out. How did Israel renew itself is the first question. Uh, Primarily... I can give you one word on how they renewed themselves. Law. The law renewed them. The law. Joshua built an altar according to the law, it says. He did it just the way God told them to. And then they offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, just the way the law told them to. And then they read the law. He, Joshua copied the law down first, and then he read it with the blessings and the curses. It's all law-based. Now, if we were just to apply this to us today and say, here's the law, this is it. I would just say, you all need to go home, you that are struggling with sin, and read the law. Read what God's going to do if you keep doing this stupid stuff, and then stop. And yeah, you better have a sacrifice for yourself. You better get an animal out there and, and, and kill that thing because that needs to take your place because you deserve to die. It, it's very much, I got to do something to get renewed. I got to do something. Maybe the most, maybe the, maybe the least action oriented thing in this passage is the, the altar of uncut stones. That's interesting, isn't it? The altar of uncut stones. Um, God is saying, I don't want any special workmanship on this altar that you're going to sacrifice the burnt offerings on. No special workmanship. Nobody's showing off to build me some fantastic-looking altar. Just a plain old altar. Bring the animals. Almost like there's something in there like, you have no part in this sacrifice thing. You know you're not. It's it's not on you. <laughs> that this is this is for me to satisfy my anger, and you can't accomplish your own forgiveness. This animal's taking it for you. We know the animal points to Christ. The animal points to Christ. So kill the animal. That'll cover your sin. That's the burnt offering. That's pointing forward a long time when Jesus comes to be the last sacrifice, and then and then do a fellowship offering. Fellowship offering was a special one because what it would be is a person would come up and they'd have their animal to sacrifice. They'd sacrifice it. Part of it would go to the priest to eat. And part of the meat would go to the people, the person that brought it up, to eat. And it was supposed to signify that we're okay with God now. He's okay with us. It's all good. We're sharing in this. I'm eating some of the meat because God is completely okay with me. We're in good fellowship together. We're friends again. So, that is how they responded. Now, if the sacrifice there is pointing to Jesus, how should we think about this passage today through the lens of Jesus? I mean, to understand this, you've got to put Jesus glasses on and say, what is this telling me about Jesus? Because if I'm going to renew myself after a huge failure, like Achan just failed and now the whole nation needs to renew itself, how do I recuperate from that failure, okay? Well, um, here's a passage that might help us think about this. Would you go to Romans chapter 10? I don't think I'm going back to Joshua. I'm going to refer to it, but I'm not going to have you read it again. So you can just go to Romans 10 and stay there for a little bit. Um, For some of your Bibles, that might be page 788. You're flipping over to the New Testament, Romans 10. Romans 10. Uh, We're looking at verse 4. Romans 10, verse 4. It says, Christ is the culmination, some translations say the end, of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes about this righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. What that means is, if you want to be righteous, if you want to be right with God, if you want to be part of His covenant people, You better live by the law. You better not mess up. Or you might be out of the covenant like Achan. They'll kick you out. They'll kill you. You know, I mean, you're not okay. Eh, You better live by this. Verse 6. But the righteousness that is by faith says, don't say in your heart. And by the way, this don't say in your heart thing, this is in the law, by the way. So that's really cool. Paul, like, pulls the law out and shows him something cool in it. But the righteousness that is by faith says, don't say in your heart. Who will ascend to heaven? And then he puts in parentheses his own little commentary on that. That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. This is Moses writing now, okay? Moses wrote this about this law thing. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Okay. Oh, let's do the next one, too. That's good. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Let's see. Uh, Verse 11. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. No shame. Now, uh, Christ is the end of the law. So they renewed themselves with the law. We're not using the law to do it. We're using Christ. Now, if you think about it, if you mess up and, and you sit down with somebody that you trust and say, i got to stop doing this. i got to stop. I've got to recover from this failure. And and they say to you, well, you better start trying harder. You better get up and, and, and from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. I want you reading your Bible and praying. And that's going to fix it. And, and they say... And I want you to do this and this and this. Or if you're struggling with, um, let's say it's lust. Let's say it's computer stuff on your computer. What am I going to do? And you say, well, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to trash that computer and not go back to it. That's going to solve It's going to take everything away. No, that that that's a problem because Jesus says that that lust and all unclean things come out of the heart. It's a heart issue. So actions are part of it. I'm going to get to the action part. But I want to make you a little uncomfortable because... The real answer in Scripture that I see in the New Testament is one word. How do we renew ourselves spiritually? And the one word is faith. Faith. He says, I'm giving you a word of faith in Romans 10. He says, this is the word of faith that we're proclaiming. People of Israel, the law was at the center. For us, Christ is at the center. What do we do with Jesus? Well, we certainly don't have to bring him down from heaven To get him to live amongst us. We didn't have to do that, did we? And you can't. That's what Paul says. Uh, He says, Moses said, before Jesus ever came out, Moses was saying uh, that uh, the word is near you. You don't have to go up and get it. You don't have to dive down to the bottom of the ocean and pull up the word. Moses says, it's right here. It's right here. That's what Moses said thousands of years ago. And then Paul comes onto this scene and says, let me tell you what that really means, people. Um, what that really is referring to is, it means you, if you want to recover in your soul, you don't have to bring Jesus down from heaven to help you. And you don't have to bring him up from the dead in a resurrected life. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to do. He says, this is the word of faith. If you believe in your heart, you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. So, today, if you say to yourself right now, I want to stop doing what I'm doing. I don't want to do this anymore. The answer lies in faith. The same faith that got you into this Christianity is going to get you through it. Today, you say, by faith, I'm not doing this anymore. I am Jesus's, He's mine. Uh, Peter says it like this you don 't have to turn there, but I, I read this passage a few weeks ago. Second Peter one three His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, everything you need you have to live a Christian life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory of, and goodness through the knowledge of Jesus, we have everything that we need to live the Christian life, everything he says. Either Peter's lying, and God is lying, therefore, or we have everything we need. And then he says, he goes on to say, um, Through these he's given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Through our knowledge of Jesus, God is going to give us these promises And through the promises of God, we get to escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires that live in us. It all starts with faith in Christ. Is is Jesus saving you just as powerfully today as he did the first day you believed? That's the question. Is he saving you just as powerfully today? Do you trust him just as powerfully today? Because I look at Joshua 8, and what I see is... um, In Joshua 8, you don't have to look there again, but Joshua 8, right? They've got these burnt offerings, right? The offerings cover over their sin. They deal with the sin. Jesus dealt with your sin. In other words, when they read those curses back then, and and the Israelites said, amen, you know, you're going to curse me if I disobey the law. That's not relevant anymore, because remember in Galatians, it says Christ took the curse for you. He became cursed. In the Old Testament, it says everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Jesus hung on a tree he took your curse. There's no curse for you. So you know what? There are natural consequences to sin. (laughs) You know, if I kill somebody, they're going to lock me up. I can't say no curse for me. (laughs) But there are natural things that flow out of our sin, but there's no curse of God anymore because Jesus took it. And instead, I get all of the blessings that were read that day. The blessings. The people on the other mountain that were saying amen to every blessing that Joshua read, those are all Yours. Peter says he calls them great and precious promises. Great and precious promises. They're all yours. So when you read your devotions in the morning, you you know, so the person that I'm talking to, and they said, how do I see God's power over this sin? And if I say, read your Bible for an hour, that doesn't do justice because the answer is, when you read the promises of God in that scripture, do you claim them as yours? Do you believe them? When you read that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, God will provide a way out so you can stand up under that temptation. Do you believe those words? Do you believe in Galatians 5 where it says you've been set free? Do you believe that? Or do you believe you need to try harder and and, and summon some sort of mental energy to get the trick done? Or do you believe that God's always there, always ready to help? and that you're his son and his daughter. He loves you. He cares about you. Let me say it like this. I I worded it in a different way. Um, If if faith is too nebulous to kind of hold on to, my faith is going to get me out of this. My faith is going to renew me. Um, I I have another way to say it on, on your notes. Maybe say it like this. The answer to recovering and renewing your heart is seeking and savoring Jesus Christ. Seeking and savoring Jesus Christ. Either you're going to love Jesus more than your sin, or you're going to love your sin more than Jesus. I mean, doesn't it come down to that? What what do you really love? Because I can tell you to read your Bible five hours a day, and if you hate every minute of it, it's not going to help you. And I can tell you to pray for an hour a day, and if you don't mean what you say, if your heart's not in the right place while you're praying, it's not going to do anything. It's your heart. It's the heart that calls out to God and says, God, save me from my sin. Like the guy that goes into the temple, right? The Pharisee says, good for me. I, I don't sin like that guy over there. And, and the big sinner comes in and says, God, have mercy on me. It's that kind of heart. Is my heart seeking Jesus and savoring him above all things? If you say, no, it's not, then you talk to God about it and say, God, you've got to help me get my heart to the right place. And then you've got to believe that you are a new creation in Christ. Everything the New Testament says about you is true. Are you reading about who you really are? Or are you listening to the voice that says, you failed again, you failed again, you'll never be done with this. You know, you hung out with those friends again, and they started talking bad about people, and you joined right in and started laughing, and you could share bad stories with the rest of them. Or... Or, you know, you started drinking and you couldn't stop and it just went way too far. That's just who you are. You'll never be done with it. Or, you looked at that. You know you shouldn't have looked at it, but you looked at it and you're always going to do that. You can't imagine life without that. Or, you spend a lot of money on yourself. This is what you always do. You always spend money on yourself. You never think of the poor. You never think of giving back to God because he gave you all this in the first place. You're always going to spend all this money on yourself. That's just who you are. Your parents were like that too, weren't they? And they never stopped. And and we deal with these voices, and the Bible has a voice that tells you something different. And, And when you read the Bible, it strengthens your faith. And if your faith is getting strengthened... Um, I was going to play a video clip. Uh, we, we have a new soundboard, and we're working with that, so we don't have audio for video for a video clip yet. But remember that remember that clip in Lord of the Rings, the very first movie, Fellowship of the Ring. And it just stands out to me as a huge picture of what I'm talking about today. Remember, uh, Gandalf is is uh, the guy who wants to go on this journey and get rid of the ring. The ring symbolizes evil. It symbolizes evil desire. Most people, if they have the ring. They're going to do something really stupid. <laughs> they're going to kill people to protect it. They're just, they're just consumed by evil in the ring. But for some reason, hobbits uh, d- don't get consumed by that evil. Somehow they're able to resist it, right? They're, they're more innocent than, than other creatures in, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And, and Gandalf knows that. He knows hobbits are just more innocent. And so he goes to um, Bilbo, who's had the ring for, I guess, decades, he said it for a long He didn't even know it was bad. He didn't know it was powerful. He's just got the ring. And, and Gandalf now knows this thing is evil and we gotta get rid of this thing. It's time to get rid of the ring. <laughs> and and so and so Bilbo's old, you know, and he's gonna retire now and go off on his own thing. And Gandalf comes into his house. Remember this? He comes to his house and says, It's time to give up the ring. It's time to do this. And Bilbo says, Ah, no, no problem. I left it right up there on the mantle. Left it right up there for you. And he says, Oh wait, wait. It's actually in my pocket. You know, and, and, then, and then he kind of pulls it out. And then he's like, okay, I'm giving it up. And he, and he gets his bag, I'm leaving now, I'm retiring, I'm going out the door. And Gandalf says, wait a minute, you, you still have it. You still have it. And I think that's what we do, right? Like we, we go to church and we hear about the things we shouldn't do, or we read the Bible and say, I shouldn't do that. God, I'm not going to do that. And then we walk out the door. And we still got it with us. We still have that thing with us. It's still in our pocket. We just said a few things about how we know we should give it up. And uh, I, I see God like Gandalf. And what does he say to Bilbo? I wish I could show you the clip, but I, I remember what he says because it sticks out so, so strongly in my mind. He says, uh, he talks about trust. Don't, don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? He says, I'm, he says, I'm trying to help you. Because Bilbo gets all defensive and says, you're trying to take away something I love. You're trying to take it from me. He gets all mad. And Gandalf says, no, I just trust me. I'm trying to help you now. And then you see Bilbo take his hand, you know, with the ring in it, and he kind of like shakingly, you know, turns his hand and the thing falls off of his hand, and then he walks out the door. And that's the end of that scene. Um, and I can just hear God saying to us, don't you trust me? D- didn't I get you into this Christian thing? Aren't I going to see it through in your life? Don't you trust me enough To surrender and and give me that sin that you've been holding on to for so long. Won't you, by faith, surrender and and begin to seek and savor my son Jesus more than anything else? Um, Now, what do we do? James 2 says, Faith by itself, without works, is dead. So, faith is the beginning. Faith is the ending. Faith is all the way through. This is a faith response to God. When we want to renew our hearts. I need to pursue Jesus and love Him more than anything else. You know, so for some of you, you grew up in a home where your parents kind of did the church thing, but they never took it so super seriously. You gotta be done with that, you know? You gotta be done with with that, you know. And you gotta have a new way of doing things. You gotta say, I am all in on this. I'm gonna love Jesus so passionately, I'm gonna do crazy things I never thought about doing before because I love him so much. I've never thought about doing this, but I'm gonna do this. And people are gonna look at you and go, You're crazy. And you're like, Yeah, I love Jesus. He makes me crazy. He makes me do crazy things. And that's the only way I can see that that's a way for you to renew yourself and get out of your failure. Either you go all in and go crazy about the Jesus thing and drive people around you nuts because you're so crazy about Jesus. Even drive your church friends nuts because you love Jesus so much. Some of them will admire you, though, and start doing the same thing, though. They'll love Jesus, too. But some of them will go, no. The church thing is you go to church on Sunday and then you're done, you know, and, and do your, you do your five-minute devotions in the morning and then you're done. And you're like, I just love Jesus. (laughs) Okay, what do you do? Uh, That's the last thing. What do you do? Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God's working in me by my faith in him, but I'm going to work it out now. Um, I would say... The answer to this question, what do I do now, is why don't you have a conversation with your friend Jesus and ask him what you ought to do? Why don't you just sit there in silence, in prayer, and instead of you talking to God, maybe you say a few things like, I just don't love you the way I should love you. I love this other stuff better. Maybe you say that and then you you say, what do you want me to do? And then listen. Wait for God to speak. Again, people that say God speaks to them, we have a name for those kind of people. They're crazy, you know. But for those of us that have the Spirit, it's not crazy. The Spirit speaks into our heart. It's not schizophrenia. God is is speaking to us. And so you say, Jesus, you're my friend. How How do I seek you and savor you above all things will you do that in my heart and help me respond um i've never been to yellowstone park but i've heard about the signs that they have that say don't feed the bears why don't you feed bears Why why can't we feed bears well because they get used to it and uh then they start seeking your food people food more than hunting that's not good they need to be hunters they start bothering humans you know that's not good. It's not good for the humans that walk into the park that get bears coming at them. It's not good for, for, for the bears because they need to do what God has told them to do and, and hunt their food. And, and I'm sure, you know, it's like in heaven there's probably a sign that says, don't feed the Christians. Because seriously, people, we've got the Word of God. We have prayer. We have a direct line to God. You can talk to Him anytime. You can open the Bible and hear Him speak to you anytime. Anytime. You, you can feed yourself. And in that feeding, remember the feeding is not the magic part. The magic part is you trusted in Jesus and he's going to work through that scripture reading to speak to you. He's going to talk to you in your prayer life. Some people fast. I find that uh, very cool. I think that's very effective. When you stop eating food for a day or two, you start to do, your mind starts to play tricks on itself. You know, you're like, well, I told myself I wasn't going to eat food for two days and, and I was going to replace a meal with, with reading the Bible and, like, praying. I was going to replace my meals with that. But you know what? I'm really hungry. This is really stupid. I can read my Bible anytime, anyway. It's almost like food helps you know how, how sin works on you. You know what I mean? If you try to give up food for two days, your mind's going to tell you things about how much you need it. And, and it's like, oh, that's what I do with sin. That's exactly what I do. I tell myself I can't live without this. I might as well have this. I always got room for God over here. M- maybe God's going to call you to fast a bit. Fasting is feasting on God. That's what fasting is. Maybe you are going to say, you know what? When I go to church from here on out, I am going to worship with everything I got. I don't have a good voice, and I sound horrible when I sing. But from here on out, I am getting, I am putting all my passion when I can sing. I am singing. Given it all, maybe Jesus will tell you to do that. Um, maybe Jesus will tell you to cut off your your hand. And you know what that means? you know it's better to cut off your hand and not sin than to go to go to hell and and have all your limbs intact uh what What does he mean? He just means go to extreme lengths to cut off the sin so so maybe Jesus just wants you to um it, it, it's the whole thing of if it, if it 's lust, I always encourage guys especially. Get accountability software on your computer. And, and, and have your computer send an email. They have free programs that do this. Send an email to your accountability partner. Uh, my wife gets mine. You know? I mean, oh, and I know some people, I've heard some people say, well, if you've got to have a computer program on your computer, then you're not strong enough, and that's bad. Well, you know what? I've got this enemy called Satan, you know? And I kind of take him seriously. And... uh I don't think that every day of my life I'm going to wake up and be super strong and never weak. If Peter had weak days, you better believe I'm going to have weak days. <sighs> and so you say, I'm going to go to extreme lengths. I mean, here's the thing. If you, if you struggle with eating, let's use eating as an example, right? Eating. Uh, and, and you say, when I go to the grocery store, I just buy everything that's bad for me, you know, so, so you say, how am I going to stop doing that? Well, you think maybe I just won't go to the grocery store. Maybe I'll have someone go with me to the grocery store. That's pretty good. That's accountability. Maybe you say um, I'm not going to drive by the grocery store. I'm not going to drive by the billboard for that grocery store. <laughs> you know I don't know. You know you just say how far can I go to stay away from this? How far can I go to stay away from this? I'm going to go to an extreme. I'm going to cut off something. So that that I don't keep doing that. Because I love Jesus. I love Jesus enough to put blocks in my way of failing him. So, there's action involved. There's action involved. Uh, I've done this. I've, I've felt like in my own sin, you know, like the sin of sometimes like speaking better about myself than I really am. Or telling the story that makes me look better than I really am. And I don't really care. I just do that, you know. And, and I've, I've talked to God and I said, you've got to make my heart break over that thing. You know, so I stopped doing it. <laughs> like James says, grieve, mourn, and wail. That's what James says about that. <laughs> you know, you should be grieving, mourning, and wailing over your sin. I don't care, I'll just do it again tomorrow. <laughs> well, well, if I talk to God in prayer and say, please help me not to do that anymore, please break my heart over that, God can then work in my heart and break it. So that when I when I tell this half-truth, which is actually a lie, it just bothers me. It bothers me, and now I get bothered by it. <laughs> so you talk to Jesus, ask him what he wants you to do, but remember that renewal starts in faith. You've got to trust him. I remember um, today Grayson was sleeping on me. I'm keeping you overtime. Uh, I'm sorry. Today Grayson was sleeping on me during the worship, and I was holding him, and he's sleeping, and it took me back to the first day in Uganda when he slept on me. I remember, uh, I remember someone in Uganda said, You know, the child really trusts you when they can fall asleep on you. And I was thinking about that, and, and I was like, he's, he's sleeping on me today. And then, it, and then it just hit me this morning like, that's exactly what God wants from us just to rest on Him. Just to say, Jesus, you are everything to me. I want my whole life to be about you. Everything, everything, every minute of my day to be about you. And I know I'm going to fail. No, I'm going to stumble, but I want to love you more than every single thing in my life. I just want to rest on you because I trust you. And if you say don't do this anymore, I trust you. I love you, and I want to stop. So, um, I just ask you this week, would would you please, at some point, if, if you find yourself struggling with that sin over and over Would you please spend some time with Jesus? Would you please start seeking and savoring him above all things? Faith is the answer. Faith always results in actions. Ask Jesus what he wants you to do. Ask Jesus how he wants you to respond to this. (sighs) For those of you that don't know Jesus and you're here listening to this and you're like, the the preacher went overtime. They told me this to get out at 10.15. They lied. Your friends better apologize for that, by the way. They lied about how long the service went. No, just kidding. My fault. My fault. Um, If if you're here and you don't know Jesus, um, the Jesus that we proclaim actually did die on a cross. It's a literal historical event. And in dying on that cross, God put, he he picked up your sins and and put them on his son. He picked up your mistakes and put them on his son. He picked up your evil and he put it all on there 2,000 years ago. Your thing is, are you going to accept the gift or not? That's faith. Faith is just like, it's there, I want it. I believe it. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes now? And if that's you, and you want this gift, and you want to start seeking and savoring Jesus the rest of your life, but you've never taken the initial step to say, God, forgive me, I have messed up, and I need you in my life, I need you 24-7. If that's you, and you want that gift right now, would you look up at me, if if that's you, and you're like, I I just got to have this. I am there. I'm there. I've never done this, but I am there. Yeah, it's like five or six of you. I haven't met you before. Glad to see you now. Would you pray in your heart now and respond to this? I'll give you some words to pray in your heart. Um, if you mean them, like I say, prayer is not the magic bullet. It's the heart of faith. That, that, that is what God is looking for. Do you really believe this? Do you really want this? Do you really want my forgiveness? I'll give it to you for free, but you've got to really believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am admitting that I've done so many things that have failed to meet your standards, your laws, your commands. I failed. And I know you're not okay with that. But this morning I also believe that you put all of my failures onto Jesus, your son. That he died to forgive them. And so I just want to reach my hands out in faith and just take that gift. I thank you for it. And I pray that I could love your son Jesus the rest of my life. And I know I'm just starting this thing but I pray that you'd help me love him above all other things. Help me. Help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.